Keep your Bibles open, if you will, to uh, this passage. We will come back to it uh, during our study together this morning. So, um, October 31st, as we've already heard, as uh, everyone knows, is Halloween. And um, that's mostly about costumes and candy, um, preferably chocolate candy. Um, but it's also a very significant date in the church history calendar. It marks a profound moment that continues to have ramifications even to this day, even to the point of which we are gathered and, and sitting in a Baptist church this morning. The year was 1517, and the day was October the 31st, and that's the day that's given to when uh, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the Wittenberg church door and uh, is known throughout history as the what started the Protestant Reformation. So it's a significant day in church history, and uh, so I thought that uh, maybe we'll start a new tradition since October 31st is significant to us as believers that uh, sometime, a, a Sunday around that date, it happens to fall on a Sunday this year, uh, we'll, we'll pause and reflect on the heroes of our faith. You know, you've heard the, you've heard the saying that if you don't know your history, then you're destined to repeat the same mistakes. And the same and more could really be said of, of church history. As believers, we have so much strength to draw from a very rich heritage. So many faithful followers of Christ who have gone before us. God has been speaking through the church for 2,000 years. There is a wealth of rich encouragement and lessons and warnings and answers for us. Their lives, their writings, their accomplishments, their failures are all part of what Hebrews calls that great cloud of witnesses that stands above us today. In studying church history, we we often discover that the questions that we have, the, the, the issues that we are wrestling with in our own day, the large questions of life that we are all confronted with, and the scriptures that are a challenge to us and we struggle to understand, all of those things have been faced throughout our history. And there's so many pastors and laymen and hymn writers and scholars and theologians throughout our history who have wrestled with those same questions and have provided the, the fruit of their debate and their wrestling and their struggling and produced so many answers. The answers 
from Scripture that we seek today. I think one of the greatest blessings for me is as I look back on occasion throughout church history and look at some of our heroes of the faith is realizing the trials and the hardships and the sufferings that they endured for the faith and how God so faithfully sustained and carried each one of them. So it strengthens my faith when I see how their faith was strengthened, how they persevered, how God spoke to them and used them and answered prayers, how the things that I faced in this day they faced and much, much more have they faced. And God's grace always proved sufficient. So let's pause for just a few minutes and ask the Lord to help us in the example that has gone before us of a man named Polycarp. Let's pray for just a moment. Father, we thank you again for another day. We thank you again for life and health and the opportunity to be here. Lord, it's, it hasn't been that long ago that um, we were not able to gather. So the blessings of being together, we know a little bit more of what a privilege that is. And Father, today we stop and, and we look back that we might move forward. We look back to see heroes and examples of those who loved Christ and embraced Christ and Christ lived through them and in significant times and in significant ways that we can look back and our faith can be encouraged and we can be strengthened for the day that we find ourselves in. Lord, there are many challenges in our day. There are many cultural challenges. There are everyday challenges. There are new challenges. Things that we have not faced before, at least we have not. But being challenged is nothing new. And your grace being sufficient is always true. And so we ask, Father, as we take a look back in history today and see a mighty man of faith, that we would be encouraged and we would be in strength, strengthened this day to be mighty men and women of faith as well. For just as you had a significant time and place and purpose for Polycarp, so you have for each and every one of us exactly where you have placed us and when you have placed us for the significance of the challenges and the victories and the hardships and the questions and the struggles and the mountaintops by which our faith will grow, our love for Christ will grow, and you will be glorified. So again, we ask, God, would you help us today? Would you move in might and power, and you be glorified in Christ's name? Amen. So this morning, I want you to time travel with me 
We're going to go back to the second century and get acquainted with Polycarp, Bishop of Smyrna. Bishop, another way to say pastor. He pastored the church in Smyrna. And to introduce us to Polycarp, I want us, I want us to begin learning about him by seeing how his life ended, by looking at his death. And then we're going to go back and we're going to make a few observations about his life and legacy and about his death and legacy. So just as introduction then, I want you to kind of imagine with me the year is 156, 156 A.D. And Christians throughout the Roman Empire are reported to commit treason for their refusal to conform to the worship of the Roman emperor. In fact, Christians were actually called atheists because they denied that the emperor was God. So refusal to confess the Roman emperor as God would be met with various forms of torture in an attempt to make the Christian deny his faith, recant his faith in the crucified one, and openly confess the emperor. All he had to do was say the words, Lord Caesar, and the torture could end, and he could go back home. He or she could go back home. All he had to do was proclaim, Lord Caesar, and under much brutal treatment, some of those who professed to be followers would renounce the faith, but far more clung to their hope in Christ. And instead of renouncing the faith in Christ, they were then led to the stadium and usually either attacked by wild beasts or they were burned alive to a throne of a cheering crowd of spectators. You've heard about these things this is the way the the emperor provided entertainment in those days is the persecution of believers in those stadiums so believers began to be arrested in Smyrna where Polycarp was pastor he's well into his 80s at this point he's still serving as pastor He's weak, he's feeble, but he is still very alert and very instructive to the believers. So he wanted to stay. He knew that persecution was breaking out. It usually happened. It wasn't, at this point, persecution wasn't statewide. It was more informative. People would, neighbors would inform on their neighbors and this kind of thing. And, and um, so, of course, it would be easy to find out who the local pastor is. So he wanted to stay, but his followers who loved him and, and depended on him so much, they, they wanted him to go into hiding. And, and so he, he did that at their urging. He went out of town a ways and, and was hiding on a farm. The story says that one day while he was in prayer, that he had a vision. The Lord showed him a, a, a picture, and it was the pillow that he would lay his head on at night, that pillow was on fire. And he told those watching over him, taking care of him there, that God had just revealed to him in a vision that he would soon testify to his faith by being torched. And three days later, 
Sunday, February the 22nd, his friends came in and they, they rushed him to another location because someone had reported that he was hiding at this farm, so they rushed him to another farm. And uh, in the middle of trying to stay away from his apprehenders, he heard stories that people were being tortured to give up his location. And he, he couldn't take that. So he presented himself to the guards who were looking for him and simply said, the will of the Lord be done. And then a remarkable thing. He invited all of his captors, those who had come to arrest him, he invited them into the farmhouse where he was hiding and he said, just wait here just a minute and he provided them a meal, a gracious meal. They sat down, they ate together and then he requested of them, if you would just give me one hour to pray and I'll go with you. So they were sitting back and enjoying the meal they just had and said, okay, you go ahead and pray for an hour. But the account says that they sat in wonder. In one hour, he prayed for, by name, every believer he knew in the world. And they were moved. The, the, the accounts say that they, this group of guards, these rough Guards were marveled that such a godly, old, and feeble man was being sought so furiously for execution. As they gathered him up and began to take him to Smyrna, to the stadium, the commander, the entire journey, the commander continued to whisper in his ear and urge him the entire journey, Just say, Lord Caesar, and you will be fine. What harm can that possibly be? Just say, Lord Caesar. Just say it. To which he refused. They finally arrive at the stadium. The crowds erupted in a roaring cheer that was deafening. But the account says that Polycarp and those companions of his that were traveling with him heard, as it were, a voice from heaven saying, Be strong, Polycarp. Play the man. When he was brought before the tribunal, the proconsul urged him, Consider your age. And those that love you, consider these things. Swear by Caesar. Reproach Christ, and I will release you. Polycarp replied, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? The bitter proconsul retorted, Swear by Caesar, or I will have the wild beast tear you apart. The old man replied, Call them. In anger, the proconsul responded, If you do not fear the beast, I will throw you to the fire. He answered with confident and bold faith. You threaten me with fire, which burns for an hour and is soon extinguished. But the fire of future judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly you are ignorant of. Do to me what you please. 
When it was announced that he was to burn at the stake, the crowds roared with their approval. The wood was quickly assembled and he was brought to the stake. Usually the condemned would be nailed to the stake to prevent them from trying to escape the fire. But Polycarp told the guards that day, there's no need to fasten me to this stake. He who gives me strength to sustain this fire will enable me also to remain unflinching on this pile. So in an unusual act of compliance, he was tied with ropes instead. The fire was lit. The story goes that strangely the flames would not touch his body, but instead formed a wall of fire around him, and it was as if he were in an oven. Eventually, one of the guards pierced him with a spear, and he died, and his body then fell into the flames. His followers, which were his church members, they are the ones who give this eyewitness account of his death. And they gathered up his bones and his ashes when the flames were over. The story says as if they were gold and silver. And they buried them in a private location and and they would gather there every year to mark his death. Such was the martyrdom of Polycarp, bishop of Smyrna. And this is the oldest account of a Christian martyr that we have outside of the New Testament. He lived well in the faith and he died well in the faith, refusing to deny his king who had saved him. That was the way Polycarp died well to the glory of the Lord. Let's step back then and talk a little bit about his life and legacy. And for that, let's go back to our text in Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 through 11. John is writing and he says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, Now, We understand that the word angel means messenger and in sending this letter to all of the churches was kind of a code way to say pastor. To the pastor, that is to the messenger, to the one who who speaks the words of God to God's people, to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write... The words of the first and, and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, speaking in spiritual terms. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and throughout the Roman Empire and even here in Smyrna in Polycarp's account, many of the Jewish leaders instigated a lot of the arrest and persecution of Christians and are not but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Polycarp came to faith in an early age, 
And either there at his conversion or soon after, he actually became, came under the tutelage of John, the disciple of Jesus. So the disciple John discipled Polycarp. Several historical accounts speak of their relation. When John wrote Revelation, it was probably around 95 A.D. because it was before the, the end of Domitian's reign in 96 A.D. So John is writing Revelation about 95 A.D., Ignatius, who is another pastor, a, a contemporary of Polycarp, he's the bishop of Antioch. Remember that church in Paul's journeys. He's the pastor of the church in Antioch. And he was martyred in Rome sometime before the end of Trajan's reign in 117. On his way to Rome, he, he writes a letter to Polycarp. We still have that letter today. And he's warning Polycarp of, of how the two heresies of their day, the two false teachings of their day were infiltrating all of the church and to beware and to be vigilant. So Polycarp was already bishop of Smyrna when he received Ignatius' letter and he's somewhere in his mid-40s at that time, which means then, follow with me, which means when the church of Smyrna read John's revelation and these messages to the churches, that Polycarp was either already their pastor or soon to be their pastor. So these words were for him. Now imagine being in Polycarp's shoes then. And as pastor, you're taking the, the book of Revelation and you're reading what God has spoken and given to John to speak to the church at Smyrna and you're pastoring the church at Smyrna and these words were written by your spiritual mentor. Put ourselves in Polycarp's shoes here then when he reads these words, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Be faithful unto death. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Those words take on a very profound and new significance. And they must have been felt by Polycarp as he read them from his own spiritual father with tremendous depth. And he would actually live to see them come true. Polycarp was said to be humble, to be modest. As the scripture says there, I know of your poverty. He was very modest. He was very simple. He was very humble. But yet, when it came to the truth of scripture or when it came to opposing heresy, he was very direct, very forthright. He was without much learning. He was not an educated person and his style of writing bears witness to how he is described as a person. It was said that he wrote many letters to encourage churches. 
fellow churches, sister churches. He wrote many letters to encourage and instruct individual believers. But we only have one of his letters intact today. And that is a letter that he wrote to the Philippians. Remember that name in the New Testament. Same church, same people that Paul wrote to. The church that was founded because of Paul's missionary experience. The church at Philippi. Polycarp's writing to the same group, the same church years later. And when he writes, he speaks of their founder, the Apostle Paul. And he quotes scripture often. And of course, one of his favorite New Testament authors that he quotes when he's writing a letter would be, of course, John. And so in his letter to the Philippians, he's quoting 1 John and 2 John quite often with other scripture. Here's three things about his life and legacy for us to take with us. Number one, he was absolutely unyielding and uncompromising in his strong opposition to any deviation from, quote-unquote, the faith once delivered to the saints meaning the apostolic teaching, the New Testament. Polycarp confronted two heresies in his lifetime, which means, by the way, that by the first generation, the first generation of believers after the apostles and after the apostle Paul, the very first generation of believers, the very first early churches were already dealing with false teaching. We're already dealing with false teachers and heresies that were threatening the integrity of the gospel and the truth of Scripture. The truth, the gospel was already being opposed and and many followers were already uh, swarming to these heresies. In fact, we see the beginnings of these even being spoken of in the New Testament. In Paul's writings, you can, you can kind of see that, that he's, he's noticing this error that would become known as Gnosticism. And he's writing about it. John, in his letters, he's noticing, he's recognizing this error that would become known as Docetism is, 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 is coming about. And he's writing about that in his letters in the New Testament. Gnosticism is this, Gnosticism comes from the word knowledge. It, it's, it, it meant that this, this special group of super spiritual people, they, they have a, a secret insight about God and, and about the Bible and, and about eternity. And, 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 and you, you common folk, you regular folk don't have it. But, but you can have this knowledge if you join with us. We have this special insight because of our, our special spiritual status. We have a special knowledge. We, we know something that you don't know. By the way, that's how all cults get started, right? We know something you don't know. We know something not in your Bible. That's why we as believers always test everything according to the Scripture. Gnosticism, we have a special knowledge. Docetism came out of Gnosticism and, and it was a denial of the literal human body of Christ. Docetism taught that the, the Son of God did not have an actual human body, it just appeared to be a body. 
That's why in 1 John, if you've been in our Sunday night studies, and I hope you have, and if not, join us next Sunday night when we reconvene our Sunday night studies. In 1 John, he says this twice already in our study, that he who denies Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh is not of God. He's talking about docetism. Particularly. So Polycarp, in the face of these two heresies, Polycarp travels to Rome to confront the perpetrators of these two heresies and to try to reach out to their followers. And it is said that he came across, in his venture to Rome, he came across Marcion. Marcion is the founder of Docetism. And when Marcion saw old Polycarp coming, it said that he said something like this. Do you know who I am, old man? And Polycarp replied, I recognize the firstborn of Satan. He was witty. He was sharp. While in Rome, he stood and he spoke the truth. And he won. It is recorded. He won many followers away from those heresies and to the truth of Christ in the gospel because he stood firm and he spoke the truth and he was not afraid to go to the battle. But the second thing about him that I want us to talk about this morning, not only he, he strongly opposed heresy, but he dealt very gently with those in the church who fell into sin he confronted their error. He didn't let them slide a bit about the sin that they were in at all. But he did so in love in hopes of restoring them. The example is given of Valens. Valens was one of the elders, one of the pastors at the church in Philippi. Same church Paul started. And when Polycarp is writing to the church at Philippi. This is one of this is the main probably the main reason he writes to them. It's what happened with Valens, one of their pastors. Valens and his wife were caught mishandling the money of the church. And they were excommunicated. And Polycarp, being a pastor in another town, stepped into that situation. And he encouraged the church to not look upon Valens as an enemy. He has sinned, absolutely. He needs repentance, absolutely. What he has done has smeared the church, absolutely. But do not look upon him as an enemy. Rather seek to restore him to repentance and bring him back into the fold of the church so that he might be whole and that you might be whole. Polycarp had such a reputation for handling matters with such grace and pastoral sensitivity that even unbelievers in Smyrna respected him. So he gently, he spoke the truth in love, but he sought to bring those who were straying away or erring away back to the fold. Third thing about his life is just as he was discipled by John, he discipled others. Irenaeus is another great name in church history. 
And Irenaeus was a disciple of Polycarp. So John discipled Polycarp, and Polycarp discipled Irenaeus, and Irenaeus was one of the great apologists of church history during some of our greatest days of persecution. A great defender of the faith, whose writings we still have, still remarkable, Irenaeus. So Polycarp was unyielding in the face of untruth. He dealt with struggling believers with grace and truth, and he invested and discipled others. That's his life and legacy. Let's talk very quickly now about his death and legacy. I'll just mention two things about his death. How could an old man face such a brutal martyrdom with such heroic faith and courage? Many tried to convince him just to say the words. I gave the, the example of the uh, commander that was riding with him. And by the way, his name, the commander that was kept enticing him, just say it, just say it, and this will all be over. Just say it. His name was Herod. Many tried to convince him, just say the words and you can avoid all of the pain. The pro-council tried to cause him to, to utter the words out of fear. He tried to press him with fear. I'm going to release the beast. I'm, I'm going to set you afire. So where did he find the strength to maintain the faith in the face of death? And I think two things are evident from his replies. And I think they speak to us today in whatever we may face in our lives as we cling to the truth and stand for it. Number one, it's evident that Polycarp feared the judgment of God more than the judgment of man. We need to learn that lesson. To fear the judgment of God more than the judgment of man. Polycarp knew the flame of hell was eternal, but the fire of man is temporary. As Paul says, these momentary trials are working for us a greater glory. Polycarp knew that and believed it. No matter how difficult the trial, it was momentary. It was temporary. And in the scope of eternity, it was light. No matter how harsh and brutal, in the scope of eternity, it was light. Compared to the glory of the presence of God, it was light. That's why Polycarp said to the proconsul, the fire that you threaten burns but an hour. So Polycarp feared the judgment of God more than the judgment of man. But secondly and most importantly, Polycarp looked to Jesus and not to his persecutors. Polycarp looked to Jesus. He says, 86 years have I served him and he has never did me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The story goes on to say that before the fire was lit, Polycarp, tied to the stake, prayed to the Lord. And his prayer was recorded. And some of the very last words of his prayer it said that he lifted his eyes to the heavens and he said these words, I praise thee, I bless thee, I glorify thee. 
Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, Seek the things that are above where Christ is. Set your mind on things that are above where Christ dwells. And that's exactly what Polycarp did. It's a legacy of faith that Polycarp leaves to us, a rich heritage of our history, that whether in life or in death, that we might glorify our Savior because he's been so loving and so faithful to his own. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. That's what Polycarp had his eyes on. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. That's what Polycarp had his eyes on. Let's be sure, church, that we have our eyes there as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our history which is your story your story of redemption your story of your people your story of your son your story of your gospel your church we thank you for one in particular that we've learned about today who in life and in death kept his eyes on you and kept his eyes on eternity and kept his eyes on the hope of the gospel That's what gave him the courage to confront heresy. And that's what gave him the gentleness to restore a falling brother. And that's what gave him the intention to disciple others. And that's what gave him the faith to stand upon a flaming pile of wood. Father, we, we look at those stories and, 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 and we marvel and we say, oh, oh I could never do that or, or I hope I would, I would be that. But, but the truth is, Father, it's not about Polycarp. It's about your spirit in him. It's about your grace being sufficient and your spirit and your grace is available to all of us who are in you. So, Father, fill us with your spirit Continue to lavish us with your grace and may you find us faithful. May we have that kind of reputation like Polycarp had. Help us to build a reputation for the gospel and help us to demonstrate it, Lord, in the way we handle the truth and in the way we treat others. And even to the very last draw of our last breath, that we would be looking to you and pointing others to you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You have been listening to the sermon ministry of Will Owens, pastor of Grassy Pond Baptist Church, Gaffley, South Carolina. Be sure to visit willowens.com to hear more sermons, read blogs, and learn more about the missions branch, P67 Missions. Again, thank you for listening to Will Owens. You have